One chance, one life, one take. Little room for mistake. Who do you Welcome to be? the Dead Funny Dead Serious Podcast. My name is Mitzi. I'm your host. Uh, this is the 30 End of Life Doulas in 30 Days series. Uh, today, our End of Life Doula is Lupe Tejada Diaz. Uh, coming to you from Washington State. And hello, Lupe. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. It's awesome to have you here. Uh, so we are going to dive right in uh, to your why. Why did you come into the end-of-life doula business? Sure. Um, it kind of happened out of nowhere, right? I was just out of... Um, like college, I had dropped out. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And I realized that this was a big need. Um, in America, things are really different from my home country, Mexico. And we realized that there's not a lot of what you would say death positivity. It's kind of death, um, death positivity adjacent, you know, <laughs> there's people want to talk about it, but it's still really taboo. And so I thought there's a need. Here I go. That's amazing. So so it's death adjacent uh, there. Do you think what's different here in America? Are we just death avoidant completely? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> for for people in Mexico, we have, um, you know, Day of the Dead. We have really strong familial ties. So our traditions are deeply rooted in community and in family. And here in America, it's not quite the same. Um I feel like when people die here, it's very much a, a stuffy event. Um, it's very formal. It's very distanced in a way. People are brought together, but not necessarily in their hearts, you know? Um, there's a saying here in America where death brings people together or something like that. Um, and I never really understood that because I still see the funerals where everyone's on one side or another side. And you know, there's no, there's no music, there's no, there's no dancing, there's no food. And that is so typical of what I'm used to. So I thought there's a want here. Um, maybe we just need to open it up and say that it's okay to do this. Amazing. I, I like that perspective. It's um, really adds to what we've already been doing in this, what we call now a traditional funeral uh, for most of America, not all of America, but a lot of America has this traditional funeral process, which isn't traditional at all, really. Once we start diving mm -hmm. into it, and anyone listening to this podcast is probably kind of into <laughs> what that's about, but you'll know it's only within 100 years that it's been like this traditional uh, funeral. So how traditional is that if it's only been 100 years? So we have some room. We have some wiggle room to add some you know, new perspectives, and I love it. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like since America is such a new and young country, it's, um, it's, it's very keen to hold on to things and call them tradition because there needs to be that sense of, you know, for, for people, um, that sense of communal ties or whatever. But like you said, it's not super traditional, you know, modern embalming has only been around since the civil war and, and the traditional funeral has only been around since, you know, like you said, a hundred years, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but here we are. <laughs> uh, it's funny. It's, it's kind of like how they say like modern art, but that's from, you know, the fifties and sixties, but it's still called modern art. So mm -hmm. I feel like that's where the word, you know, traditional funerals kind of steps in in that funky, right. like not actually traditional everybody, but here we are. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, 
it's so I know your why, you know, you saw that there's this kind of a gap or a need um, or a want. How did you get here? How did, what, what happened? You heard about end of life doulas and then what happened? It's a funny story. I didn't actually know anything about end of life doulas until I started. Um, I was on YouTube one day and fell down a rabbit hole and I stumbled upon a Caitlin Doty video, Ask a Mortician. And I was like, oh, I could do that. Um, I realized I would have to go back to school and I was like, ah, I don't know about that just yet. It doesn't feel, I didn't feel like Western education was really calling to me. Um, I've been kind of on this decolonization journey through my young adult life. And I, I figured, no, there has to be a better way. And so another couple of days went by and I was on Instagram at like 2am as one, you know, does casually. And I saw that Elua Arthur had posted something about end-of-life doula training, her first round of students. And I said, okay, why not? So I, I sent an email half asleep. And a couple weeks later, I found out that I got in. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing this now. Um, and it was great. It all kind of fell into place right when it needed to. And I've just kind of been doing it ever since. I, I fell in love with the work. I fell in love with the people, the, the community. It's just so wonderful. Okay, so that's the first for this podcast and for me talking to end of life doulas that you went down a YouTube rabbit hole and ended up at end of life doula. I just I'm gonna put that there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder who else's careers have been formed by um, just a YouTube rabbit hole. That's fun. So I'd love to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone else became an end of life doula uh, by going through a rabbit hole, they should definitely comment because uh, we just need to have like this weird little community of people that just fell down a rabbit hole and then, oh, I'm an end of life doula. Totally. And both of those people that you mentioned have great YouTube channels. So they should mm-hmm. follow those too. Awesome. Awesome. So you did a Lewis training. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Um, I, I did the training and I had to jump in pretty quickly because there, there was just a huge need in the community, right? I started realizing that, uh, my friends, their, their peers, our families, they all kind of needed somebody to help deal with the, um, the bureaucratic process that is dying in America. And I'm from, um, a Mexican family, right? So there's uh, a big community of people who don't really speak English, who aren't, you know, medically literate in the same way. And so I thought, wow, gosh, I'm just being called out to help everybody. Um, And it wasn't any big like, oh, come do this whole thing from beginning to end. It was very much a, I don't understand this paperwork or I don't, um, why am I being charged $10,000 for a funeral? Things like that, right? And it it started off kind of slow. It picked up really quickly. But then... um, I think it was in the summer of 2019, there was an indigenous man here in my county that was shot and killed by police. And it was a huge media storm. And this family was kind of left, number one, shaken by the loss of, you know, their family member. And number two, being either victimized or martyrized, you know, into this whole weird situation. And I, I, I felt called to just be like, hey, if you need something, I'm happy to help. And um, it just kind of went from there. I, I talked to different news stations and was like, please leave them alone. Don't do that. And I think it was the first time a lot of people had ever been told no, especially by someone who, you know, looks like me. Um, traditionally, that's not what's done in America is years of 
colonization and terrible white supremacy have shown us. But it was a big moment when I realized that my voice mattered and that I could affect change and make people listen. Um, and from there, it just kind of took off. Things really just blew up for me. So can we say that you are also working on decolonization of the funeral industry and the death piece, right? Because it's kind of even a bigger scope, what you just said. I mean, that's beyond um, even the death industry. It's Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a difficult topic because we have to think about where does it come from? How many people has it affected and where are we now? Right. So the, what we understand to be the modern white American funeral industry, um, has really influenced the rest of America in the sense that you see the traditional black funeral with the beautiful, um, homecoming ceremonies, homegoing, things like that. It's all gorgeous, but it doesn't quite fit into that little box. So we're still kind of shunned. We're still kind of pushed aside. And then the traditional, what you would call um, Latino or Mexican funeral, same kind of thing, loud, vivacious, lots of people always, it still doesn't quite fit. So there's still people that in the funeral industry, specific funeral homes and different um, companies that look down on us and that don't necessarily want to work with us and that haven't prioritized us as people. Um, there's a huge problem with mortuary makeup that has been, you know, kind of brought to light more and more where white embalmers still don't know what colors to use for our makeup and they don't know how to do our hair and they don't understand the significance of why we shouldn't look like clowns, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's just, it's all these little things that people don't think about until you're there and you see like, why does grandma look like that? Or why are we being told to be quiet? You know, it's, it's a whole nasty thing. And slowly, I think people have realized that by taking the funeral industry out of the equation and bringing it back home, we're able to do things more freely, more openly, and be more comfortable in the way that we mourn traditionally. Um, mourning is a very sacred act. And as a community, it's very important to come together and to share in that energy and to say this person mattered. They were a human. They were a life, not just a burden for a family, not just $10,000 wasted, you know. It doesn't have to be like that. Oh, all right. Just, wow. We're going to just, I don't know. That's just one big awesome clip that should be shared with everybody. Uh, everyone needs to share that. Everyone needs to hear that. Um, this is something that I haven't done on the other podcasts, but do you have any um, thoughts or comments about, you know, what I've seen, because I kind of study death in media, uh, right? That's kind of, I always pay attention. That's what happens when you're a thanatologist. You kind of <laughs> just always have your, your ears up for that. And the last two, I don't know if they're both on Netflix, but we have Buried by the Bernards, which highlights a black funeral home. And we have The Casketeers, which I, be I believe is New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, uh, both interesting shows. And then the other funeral show that everyone always comes back to is Six Feet Under, which is a dramatization of a white funeral home. And it, I mean, that's just one weird question for you, Lube. <laughs> but any thoughts on that, like that they you know, that it has been separated even in the media and things that we are allowed to watch? It's a difficult question because um, I think it's very important to highlight the different facets of the funeral industry because it's not just one big 
you know, blob of things that there's different people, there's different energies, there's different communities. And by highlighting the, the, the black funeral homes and the, um, the funeral homes from New Zealand and other places, we start to see, oh, maybe it's not the way that we all understood it. You know, maybe it's not just the six feet under the stuffiness, the whatever, there's life behind it. There's characters, there's people. When you say you bring life to the industry, it's kind of looked at like, what are you talking about? But it's true. You know, the, the, the people that work in the funeral industry, a lot of the times are just genuine people who want to help and who want to love and who want to support their communities. But it's, it's too bad that it's only been in the last couple of years that we've been seeing them flourish. You know, it's, most most often been these predominantly white funeral homes that are just this is the way we have to do it and no now there's people like no we're here we're on tv and we're normalizing these types of beautiful traditional funerals and kind of a mix of the um traditional maori culture with the 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 other kind of not so traditional um colonized like white stuff it's all mixing together really beautifully but there's no reason why we can't have that there's no reason why we can't have beauty and tradition and culture and it's just nice to see but um you know one one often thinks like are we still being kind of spectacleized or are we just enjoying it's a difficult thing and i don't i don't know if i've had enough experience to really speak on it other than to see other than to say oh it's nice but i don't know it's difficult yeah uh, no, beautifully said, right? Because it, it is a really hard question to answer. It's a, it's a big question. And I agree completely. I think that it was really interesting to watch um, the, you know, the traditional funeral being kind of crossed over with culture. Um, but it brought more questions for me as an observer than answers. And I mean, that's part of, you know, this complicated and interesting life that we have. But at the same time, I was like, where, you know, which part is simply colonization and which part, uh, you know, how can we engage and encourage culture to be accepted and seen and valued? Mm -hmm. We went deep. That in itself is such a difficult thing, right? Because a lot of these cultures that are here trying to have their, um, you know, traditional cultural funerals, such knowledge has been lost. You know, we have been, it wasn't until the 1970s that indigenous people in America were allowed to celebrate their culture without going to jail, you know, or in, in Mexico, people were put in, you know, similarly here, residential schools, we were, our, our indigenous languages were taken from us. Everything that we knew was taken. And so we only had, these bits and pieces of tradition and we had to kind of mold them to fit this, this new, this new power that was taking over us, you know, and, and we had to hide our, our traditions under the guise of Catholic saints and under, you know, colonization and under these funeral, these funerary traditions that were already kind of being established. I think it all kind of happened in a, in a, in a way that, the traditions weren't quite established yet, but so then we could sneak in and be like, oh, well, here's this too. We also like this. And it all just kind of formed this new, weird, strange, beautiful grief that we now know. Um, so it'll be nice to see if we can instill more culture into it or maybe separate it completely. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see that. And I feel like that's a future generation's problem and not quite mine. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of covering the challenges 
in a certain way. Is, are there other challenges that you've found being a death doula? Absolutely. Um, there's this idea of my work not necessarily being valid. You know, I, I will go to different hospices and I work with families in hospice and it's always like, oh, and who are you? And what are your qualifications? And, and what's this? What's that? What school did you go to? And, you know, it's always nice to say, oh, I studied under this program by this world-renowned, you know, death doula. And I work with this, you know, incredibly respected community here in Washington. But there's always like a, a people looking down their nose at me um, just because I don't necessarily subscribe to these ideas that death has to be so sterilized and that hospice has to be so rigid, you know, um, that that's one of the biggest things that I found. There's also the discrimination in the communities that I serve. I, I serve marginalized communities. I serve communities that people, you know, we either they don't have a lot of money, they don't speak English, they look different, they act different. It's just difficult to have to navigate the subtle nuances of white culture and white supremacy and then still bring people through and be like, here, we can still do this. There's a place for you. Even if I have to make it myself, there will be a place for you. So that's tough. I feel like there's a lot of responsibility on my shoulders a lot of the time, but um, more and more people are starting to realize that is valid work and this is important and wow, how can we help you? So slowly but surely we are continuing. That does feel like a lot on your shoulders to work on. Mm -hmm. um, so it's be, you know, how, how can we become uh, allies with the work that you're doing? I guess we're just going to roll over into the hopes, right? And how, how people that are listening to this can help you. Right. Um, it's my sincere hope that we can all kind of take a step back from First of all, death as a as a finite, terrible, awful thing, right? Um, I really do believe that our our American society has disconnected us from nature and from the way that things are supposed to be. Um, in in my culture, we're very much taught that without death, there can't be life because that's just cyclical, right? We can't just live forever. It it doesn't work like that. Our our energy isn't ours. Our bodies are just kind of meat suits that take us to where we need to go for the time being. But at some point we have to give it back and it's our responsibility to leave the world a better place than when we came into it. It's not so much the case here. Um, and I, I, I hope that maybe we can all just kind of look back and be like, maybe death isn't so terrible. You know, we're all supposed to die We're there's no way around it. You know, I know there's these whole anti aging beauty regiments and then this idea that you have to stay young forever it's the only way that you'll be a valued respected member of society but our elders are still hugely important to us the knowledge that they carry the the way that we age in the world and the way that we exist has to come to an end for it to be valued because if it's constantly there it just isn't it doesn't hold the same importance it doesn't hold the same um energy so taking a step back from that would be great. And then also just kind of recognizing that other people exist. <laughs> America is very big on, um, we're the only people that have ever, you know, we're the best, we're number one. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But have you considered maybe sharing the spotlight? It's fine if not, but maybe just 
a thought. <laughs> yeah, I think America's like, nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, another important thing would be environmentalism, right? How are our um, body disposition practices affecting the planet? Embalming, while I think is an incredible resource and an amazing art form, and it helps so many families find peace after tragedy or after you know, prolonged decay or anything like that, you know, we can make people look like they did before anything really bad happened, but maybe they should only be kept in those special cases, you know, um, maybe embalming doesn't need to happen for everybody and, you know, leak formaldehyde into the ground all the time. There's nothing wrong with decaying. It's, it's kind of how everything's supposed to happen. And I think that plays back into the fear of not being around anymore, but we're already not going to be, you know? Um, so yeah, just a couple thoughts. I am a hundred percent on board. Uh, the environmental piece is just, yeah, that needs to be first and foremost. And I agree. And I love your diplomacy in saying, you know, embalming is an art and the people that have worked on it have, you know, gosh, they've done a lot of work. Um, and right we are told kind of a story that it's, it helps people have peace, but I'm not quite sure coming from the psychology side, if it's actually an aligned piece. Uh, so that's a different story for a different day though, but we're just going to put that there note taken. If anybody wants to have that conversation later, I'm open to it. Uh, it's kind of a thing. Where can people find you? Because I want everyone to follow you and cause you just dropped so much knowledge that is just fire that everyone just needs to follow you thank you so much i'm on instagram at doula underscore dam underscore thing i'm also on facebook at lupe the death doula and you can find me on um, my website doula damn thing today.com i think you won for the coolest name and <laughs> yeah i'm a little jealous that's a cool ass website name thank um, you <laughs> all right everyone head on over and follow lupe all those um links will be in the show notes as well so you can find her and follow her and you know contribute to that conversation because yeah fire uh thank you lupe for sharing your how and why thank you so much uh and thanks again listeners uh if you can please leave a review of this podcast uh it can just be a heart it doesn't matter say what you want you can yell at me whatever you need to do uh but it tells us to make more of this content uh and that you are interested in ethical end of life care and that we should do all this work but it's not really work because i get to talk to cool people like Lupe and it was kind of fun and whatever um so do that make a leave a review please and then once you're done with that hop on over to instagram and tiktok and follow us there that way we can get to know you and have some more you know fun interesting weird conversations because that's what happens uh thanks again and we'll see you in the next